Before we get into this episode, I want to just step back for a moment and point out how many unusual things have happened up until this point in our story. Usually, scouts don't get involved until after a book's already been sold. Usually, you don't have an international offer coming in before a US or UK offer. And also, usually, you only have one editor instead of two. These joint editing scenarios, they're definitely not the norm. I just want to make that crystal clear. This is the story of how a book gets published, but it's not the story of how every book gets published. I feel like I just copped a line from the movie Ratatouille there, but it's true. Every book has its own path to publication. And I think part of the challenge of being an author is to not get too attached to your idea of how you want your book to move through that process. It's more about figuring out the most appropriate path for the book, figuring out what the book wants. I hope you keep that in mind as you're listening to this. This is one way it happens. It's definitely not the only way. It's that process of questioning. Once that, again, that's um, Anthea Townsend, my UK editor. Obviously, a question needs an answer, which we can't always provide. Yeah, and I was going to say, in fact, you could, you, you know, if you think back to our, our process with Steam in the Cosmos. And that's Jess Garrison, my editor in the US. Anthea and I are often tripping over ourselves when we do suggest an answer, you know, to say, this may not be the right answer, but it, it's one answer, mm -hmm. one possible mm -hmm. answer, you know, see where it takes you. If you like it, great. If you hate it, you know, use it as a jumping off point to something else. Mm -hmm. Because I think as editors, you, you do want to make sure you're leaving um, creative room for the author to find, or the artist to find um, his or her way to, to, the, to an answer that feels right to them. I think when some people think of editing, they have this image of a person going in and gutting their novel with a red marker. But in my experience, it's much more like Justin and Anthea are saying, this process of questioning. And what happened specifically with Sue and the Cosmos is that we ended up falling into this rhythm. I'd send them a new draft of the novel. They'd discuss it between themselves. And a few weeks later, I'd get an email from Jess with their combined edits and feedback. When we needed to, we'd hop on a conference call, much like we're doing here, to talk about it. It was really wonderful because I, I would find that, you know, as I was reading, um, I would be reading with a head toward some set of particular things we wanted to address. And then I would speak to Anthea and there would there would be something I, I kind of hadn't thought of at all yet. And it made the process, I think, much more efficient because we could give you you know, we could give you two brains worth of insight in one go. It did mean maybe the letter was fairly long. And that made so sense. the letter that Jess is talking about here is what's known as an editorial letter. Typically, the manuscript is passed back and forth as a Word document with track changes for specific comments and edits. The editorial letter is a separate document that's more the overarching summary of the feedback. That may have been a little bit, uh, you know, intimidating or just overwhelming, and I hope not. But, uh, but I think it, it made for more efficient feedback, and we could really kind of crystallize what the question was because we were, we were speaking to each other and, and working it out for ourselves yeah. before we shared it with you. So it, I just this is why I go back to saying like, let's do every book together. This worked out great. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm interested from your perspective, Jack, did it feel, you know, did it feel streamlined and natural and efficient? Because it's kind of, yeah, I just, as you said, it's a first for us. So uh, Yeah, yeah, it did feel very, very natural. And, and I think that feeling you're talking about, uh, Jess, about another person, like bringing up something that you hadn't thought of. For, for me as a writer, um, what I find with editing is that very often they'll be like, oh, you know, you guys will mention something that like, I was only like unconsciously aware of and that like I had an issue with this part of of the book and this part of the story and and you know one of the the great joys of working with uh editors is sort of seeing those things be articulated and being like oh yes you know this like totally gets at what what I feel about like what's wrong with the book or what could be improved That's great yeah, I was going to say, I hope it was as fun on your end as, as I think it was for us. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I'm generally, uh, from my experience working in like advertising and tech, I'm typically like a little wary of group feedback on things. Mm-hmm. Um, because in with like some of those experiences, there were, you know, there was often a case of like too many chefs in the kitchen. And yeah. Uh, but yeah. I definitely felt like, yeah, just having like the three of us, it felt much more natural and it felt that like you had hunches and they would be confirmed. I think you felt a little more confident in like your own opinions and your own evaluations of how good something is. Much of the work that we did to the story from the time that Jess and Anthea acquired the manuscript to when we finished editing was to make the novel more for a younger audience, more, as Jess would say, squarely middle grade. And if you remember from our past episodes, this was something that was a point from the very beginning. We decided to work together based on this idea of we all wanted to make the book younger. Now, some of this is what you might expect, like not using swear words, for instance. But the distinction here between a novel for kids and a novel for teens or adults also goes beyond just the content. So Jess, uh, when, when you and I first sat down for lunch that time in New York um, after mm-hmm. the acquisition, uh, you know, something that we talked about and something that I think we talked about even from like the very first phone call was the difference between young adult and middle grade. And... Mm-hmm. I've found that even now, like, you know, every time I ask myself that question, I sort of come up with a, with a different answer for it. Um, and I just, yeah, it's a slippery one. Yeah. I want to, I want to hear from you guys, like right now, what's the difference between young adult and middle grade? Ooh, I know I was, I was thinking about that because I knew <laughs> it was, it was something that, that you were curious to, to talk about. And um, I think I've come down uh, to saying, that mostly it's about it's about perspective. You know, kids only know what they know in the in the moment they're in and their childhood previous to that. And so there's there's sort of a a set of older teen and adult things that they just don't even really and and I'm speaking in generalizations here. I mean every every kid's experience is different, but there are a lot of things that certainly I didn't get as like a 10 or 11 year old. Um and so I think for for middle grade and teen, it's just about staying in that 
in that moment um, where where the kid is and not pushing too far into things that are beyond their emotional experience or knowledge yet. And that's sort of that's sort of what the story is about. It's pushing up against those boundaries. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I always say that it's not necessarily it's not so much about the content. It's about the the author's intent with the content and the the way the information is being distilled and presented that it feels authentic to what to the way a 10 or 11 year old would would distill it would see it um would talk about it or not talk about it um and so i've never you know when you and i first started talking about it jack it's like i never really thought about the distinction it's just something i recognize when i read and i recognize too when i have you know a 9 10 11 year old kid in a story but it's an adult novel because yeah. there's a gloss on things. There's just a way of writing. There's a there's a narrative voice maybe that is that is speaking to an older person who has a lot more experience than a ten or eleven year old does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's beautifully put. <laughs> I think that question of perspective is bang on, and that idea that again speaking generally that for middle grade readers they're kind of brushing up against adult issues, let's say, but they're not into adulthood or, or even that first step into it in the way that, well, you know, that the, the young adult or teen readers are. Um, but they are starting that kind of burgeoning comprehension of some of those issues or um, issues is the wrong word. It's just life. It's what they're encountering. It's how, what they're processing, what they're understanding from life, whether that's, you know, immediate life around them, relationships, love, school, jobs life everything um so middle grade it's writing with that in mind that doesn't lose that end reader that they're gonna still be captured and what 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 they're reading will resonate that they'll get it that they'll see themselves um one of the ways that makes it easy is to remember who you were at nine or ten and then think about who you were at like 15 or 16 Like they're just worlds apart, you know, like the stuff that I was dealing with in fourth or fifth or even sixth grade. And then who I was when I was like a sophomore or a junior in high school. Oh my goodness. It's, it's childhood to the, to the brink of adulthood. And I think in middle grade, you're on the brink of becoming a teenager. You're, you're on the brink of this next big phase, but it's not adulthood. Um, you know, you're maybe getting a a little bit of that stuff, but it's, you know, YA is, is the brink of adulthood. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, that middle grade age is kind of 9, 10, 11. What you're understanding about adulthood is very different to what you're understanding as a teenager about adulthood. And seeing how that plays out in middle grade and then YA is is really interesting. As Jeff said, it's something that you know immediately as soon as you're reading, um, but it's quite hard to put into words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it ends up being a line-by-line thing or a scene-by-scene thing, which is what we discovered with See You in the Cosmos, things that tipped a little... Just a little beyond, yeah. or or where Alex seemed to get lost in what was happening with the adult characters. It became more about them and less about him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's. I think those. That's how we went about it in in this case. You know, it was just line by line, scene by scene. Mm. And I don't mean to. I, I feel like our conversation. We've completely skipped over like thirteen, fourteen. You know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen year olds. They exist too. Um, and I think that's actually yeah. where, where the distinction between middle grade and YA becomes really interesting. And those are the years that are interesting, I think, in our lives, you know, you, you're, you're getting a lot of, um, 
you're, you're, you're just getting a lot of information and a lot of experiences as you go from like, you know, the, uh, middle school or junior high into high school. Um, and I think there are books where the lines are blurred too, in a, in a good way. Mm-hmm. I think, I think see you in the cosmos is kind of one of them. I think yeah. by stranger, um, by Rebecca stead is another, um, and there, there are a ton more, but I think those are, those are worth examining too. And they're sort of, um, upper middle grade, I might say. Yeah. You know, every reader, especially at that age is different. And so I think there will be 10 year olds who will read it differently to that 14 year old, but that's not to say it wouldn't resonate with both. And that's, I mean, that's the beauty of the novel. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There aren't very many that, that can do that, that you, you could give yeah. this to a nine or 10 or 11 year old kid and they will get it. Um, and you could give it to a, to an older, you know, junior high age kid and they would get something else and you give it to a teenager or an adult and they would pull out even, you know, mm-hmm. other and, and different things. So mm-hmm. it really is a rare, it is a rare thing. Mm-hmm. And I um, think it was something that we were all, that we were all aware of from the beginning, you know, that there were these elements that were really rich in these characters wh- whose own situations were really, um, finely wrought. And it was a matter of making the story. I think I kept saying, Jackie, you're probably like, oh, if I see that phrase one more time, <laughs> squarely middle grade, you know, your, your core audience, it has, you know, it has to work for that 10 year old. It can't, they, you don't want your reader to feel like they don't get something or they're being left behind. And then if it, you know, when we do that, the beauty of, of, of the book and because there are all these characters at different ages and different life situations who are all part of Alex's mix. Um, the beauty is that you, you kind of get to have your cake and eat it too. You, you get a book that really will make sense for that 10 or 11 year old, but then you have all these older people who can appreciate it too. And I think that's just, that's just what we call like a really good book. How did you put it when we had lunch? I can't, I can't quite pull up the details of the conversation, but you, you were talking about sort of identity and, and morality. I think when you were making a distinction between middle grade and YA. Yeah, yeah, Is I that think, right? Yeah, I, I, I think I was talking about how middle grade, um, the kids are at that age are sort of asking the the big questions, really for the first mm-hmm. time, and they're learning what's like right and wrong their their values are starting to to really like form i think what i said about ya was that like being a teenager is such a crazy thing because you're you're having to go to go through all these experiences of betrayal where like your body's betraying you and your body's changing but also you know friends will do something inconsistent from the image that you've built of them and when you're younger, you're you're like it's almost like you're coming up with these theories of how the world works, and when you're a teenager, that's when your theories first start to break a little bit, and you're having to like deal mm. with like reevaluating, you know, what you thought was like truth. You know, considering all this, it you know you cast your mind back to those years, like you said, Jess, the kind of person you were at eight, and then the person you were at nine, ten, and then fast forward to fifteen, sixteen, and life has changed so dramatically um and and your kind of outlook and who you are and who you are kind Mm. of presenting yourself to the world and how you feel about that is so different it's kind of crazy 10 years actually isn't it 19 it is 
<laughs> I think that then gets into the question for me of like, okay, so then what's the difference between YA and uh, adult fiction? There is something that... Um, there is something, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I suppose if you're being very, just boiling it right down, you might say the age of the protagonist. Mm-hmm. But um, but that's not to say, of course, there aren't adult novels where they're a teenage protagonist that yeah, I really do yeah. think there's there's something about an adult gloss, and I and I sometimes when I read something that I like and I end up declining it, that that is sort of the reason I hmm. I feel like there's something coming through in the narrative voice that feels like it knows more than the kid does, mm. who yeah. in in like dialogue and in in how that kid is presenting him or herself. Mm. I often find it's the dialogue that's really exposing for me. Um, or voice. I mean, you know, the way that, I mean, for me, the first thing within a page of reading Few in the Cosmos, Alex's voice was just, I mean, totally unforgettable, but also felt so true and so real to his age and and everything we were learning about him, about his situation. It all, it was that voice. And I think mm. that's where, um, you know, often the challenge really is, is getting that voice. Yeah, and it, it really is often a feeling you get. You know, you, it's like these little tiny cues in yeah. in the writing where you're like, well, I know this about this kid based on the, the dialogue, the conversations. But then there's this sort of thing creeping in in the narrative voice that seems to speak to things happening that that, that, that kid in dialogue wouldn't really know about yet or understand. And yeah. I think um, I think that's what, that's what makes it adult. And you do in those opening pages where we we readers understand that there's something more happening mm-hmm. in his life than he's letting on to us, maybe more than he, even he understands. And you're kind of reading to figure out um, what that is, but also what his understanding of it is. Does he know mm-hmm. that there's that there's something that's not, you know, quite healthy about this relationship um, or with, the, with his mom's health or is he oblivious? And you're, you're kind of, that's part of the intrigue of those opening pages. You let us know without going over his head. Mm-hmm. It's just in, it's just in the presentation of the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that struck me as we've been discussing this, that you see a lot more humor in middle grade mm-hmm. um, fiction than you do in young, young adult fiction. And, and then you see in adult fiction. That, that reminds me of, <laughs> Um, so, so my, my mom in recent years, she's been doing this thing where she's making like photo books and getting them printed. And, and, uh, a few years ago, she made one for me that was basically like pictures from when I was born up until I left for college. And, um, as you're flipping through them, as you're going through like my earlier years, I'm just like joyful, happy kid. And then, like, as soon as you get into high school, there's, like, no smiling in any of the pictures. I know. It's like our surly years. I mean, I, yeah. I think yeah. I was I was I mean, smiling and laughing with my friends. Just at home, I was sort of like, I'm going to go read a book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go be in my room a lot of the time. Exactly. But I think, that, I think to, to go back to the humor of it, I think there's something also about that age when you really start um, enjoying humor and telling jokes as a way of forming friendships and, and actually understanding sometimes sort of making sense of the world. And I think that often hmm. that really hits in that middle grade age group 
So perhaps it's not surprising that there's a lot of, you know, funny middle grade fiction out there. But that's a really yeah. good point that it's almost a, uh, it's like a social lubricant, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's I'm I love sort of angsty coming of age YA, but it's hard for me to get through it if it's not also funny. You know, there has yeah. to be um there kind of has to be the good with the bad and I think that's life too, you know, kind of gallows humor that you 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 need it in order to make it through those those moments and I think readers need it to be able to make it through mm-hmm. some books. Mm-hmm. I think I just you need, you need, Alex, you need Alex with an astronomy joke every exactly, now and then. <laughs> exactly. but it's true I mean this is a this totally. is, is a great example of like you know he's he just keeps alone. That, you know. yeah and he's going through a lot of stuff but he's always like but he's, he's always got a joke <laughs> Something that happened throughout this process was that Jess and Anthea were constantly reminding me to think of that kid reader. And it was an exercise, I think, in empathy, in putting myself in the shoes of my main character and trying to find creative ways to keep some of the more adult content, but come at them from that perspective that we talked about here of a 10 or 11 or 12 year old. And while all this was going on, there were some other things that were happening in parallel at the publishing houses. One of those things was the design of the jacket. That's next week on See You on the Bookshelf. Thanks once again to Jess Dandino Garrison and Anthea Townsend. Anthea is on Twitter at Anthea Townsend, and Jess is on Pinterest as JKD Garrison. Music for this podcast is by Saint Benjamin. Listen to more at saintbenjamin.com. See You in the Cosmos, my novel that this episode, that this entire podcast is about, goes on sale February 28th. To get your copy the day it comes out, you can pre order it now, pretty much anywhere books are sold. And one more thing, how do you put a baby alien to sleep? You rock it. <laughs>